0: This is a pre-Thanksgiving quiz. What American Revolutionary War hero said, I have not yet begun to fight. And had a rum named after him. No, it's not Hamilton. I'm Susan Schwartz, your drinking companion. And this is Lush Life Podcast. Every week we are inspired to live life one cocktail at a time. We have Finian Gill, co-founder and master of flavors for, wait for it, for John Paul Jones Rum, here to answer every question you might have on how the two, that is, American Revolutionary War hero John Paul Jones, and rum came together. Plus, even more on the not-so-secret ingredient that makes their rum different from every rum out there. By the way, if you can't hear it already, I have bronchitis, which is still wreaking havoc on my voice. But it's been two weeks without a single episode, so bear with my voice, at least in the beginning and the end. I totally sound like me in the interview because I recorded that pre-cold. Now, let's begin to drink. I think John Paul Jones said that, too. I think I'm supposed to say... I have not yet begun to fight. Right?
1: Yeah, exactly. We're talking so. about
0: John Paul Jones here. I have the right guy, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. No, his, most, his most famous lines in one of his most famous battles, about halfway through, he was asked from the opposition captain, you know, do you surrender? He said, surrender. I, will, I have not yet begun to fight.
0: I mean, that's what I was taught. Remember, he is an American war hero, American revolutionary war hero, should I say. 100%. When I saw a rum. That was called John Paul Jones Rum. I was like, what the heck? Why him? Why Rum? Everything. And I just had to have you on the show to find all these things out. So you have to start from the beginning.
1: Let's start with John Paul Jones. He's far, far greater man than I. So my name's Finn. I'm one of the three co-founders of John Paul Jones Rum. We're a small startup rum company that just started in March this year. And I am the master of flavors, and my sort of job title in that is designing the rum itself and doing all the recipe work, and yeah, probably having one of the best jobs you can have.
0: Did you always want to do that? Where did John Paul Jones Rum come from?
1: John Paul Jones Rum. So, so it had begun very much around the table with my two friends. We started it because we all sat around. We'd all hit issues with our careers beforehand. None of us worked in the alcohol industry. And we were all sat down drinking rum, and we were all big fans of rum. And we said, look, why don't we go and... Roll the dice a bit and go and see what we can do. We all had sort of this crazy idea that rum could be improved in certain ways. And my business partner, Ollie, was born 100 meters away from where John Paul Jones was born himself up in Scotland.
0: So you say you were drinking rum. Was rum always a love of yours? Was that th- the thing that you always drank? You had to have rum?
1: So for me, for me, um, well, I started off with spirits sort of past all sort the of teenage years where you drink anything that's over 40%. I started off with with whiskey and really, really sort of found a love for whiskey and, and that sort of took me towards dark spirits and sort of the Scottish aging process I always found really interesting, which is I guess where some of some of the influence to the rum is now. But then I I went to the Caribbean a couple of times, I went to Barbados a few times and sort of discovered Mount Gay and discovered all the other great distilleries out there and very much fell in love with the other way that a dark spirit can be. It's obviously a bit sweeter and 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 a bit smoother than sort of the, the slightly more spiky whiskies.
0: And then did you just then keep drinking Mount Gay or did you try all different kinds of rum?
1: I know very much, very much burnt out. So sort of the, the main Bayesian and and Jamaican distilleries, I'd say, are my favorite. So I love Appleton. Um, and our, our base level white rum, as I'm sure I'll explain later, comes from Jamaica. And that is, that is due to sort of some of my underlying passion and love for, for, for rum making out there. It's where, it's where rum was born and it's absolutely sensational stuff.
0: So when you say you you wanted to start a rum with two of your friends where did you even think of beginning?
1: Um, yeah, honestly, well, none of us have any experience at all in uh. the industry <laughs> is the first thing to start with. So, you know, there's the fine line between stupidity and bravery and all that. Um, that saying,
0: sometimes can bring you the best things, <laughs>
1: right? I hope so. <laughs> I'm not sure sort of how we bumbled through those first few conversations about what we'd make and how we'd end up there, but somehow we ended up we ended up at, at seaweed-infused rum aged in in woods that, in my opinion, oh no, so to most of my knowledge, that no other rum uses. So I think that we really just set out to be different and to embrace the fact that we're not, we're not part of the industry. And because we're not part of the industry, we can, we can approach things a bit differently and be real outsiders for that. And that was very much what John Paul Jones himself, I guess. That was a lot of what he was about, was this idea of going against the grain, being individual and, and fighting, fighting, Back then, obviously, the British, but, but it's just the, the status quo and being against that. So I guess we've always tried to be outlandish and, and be different.
0: All right. So we have to unpack that a little. So let's go back for a sec. So you're all around. You hate your jobs. You say, let's start a romp. And then you, you just threw in seaweed. You threw in John Paul Jones. Talk me through your thinking at the beginning which came first, the John Paul Jones, the seaweed, the living near John Paul Jones, all of that so, stuff? How did you decide to incorporate it and the kind of the linear way it happened?
1: Yeah, so the chronology was that So my business partner, Ollie, lives up in Dumfries in Scotland. And as some people don't know, John Paul Jones yeah, was born about 100 meters away from him in Dumfries and learned to sail on the Solway Firth and his first adventure started off there up in Scotland. So Ollie, uh, my good friend and business partner, he because he's always lived so close to it you know his old cottage is now a museum has always had the story of john paul jones very much a part of him and has always wanted to turn that into something and sort of came up to me and said look um i want to make this and i think it should be a run because when john paul jones died his body was perfectly preserved in white spirit rum as well so obviously rum was the spirit to do john paul jones in but he came up to me and said look i i've got the story i've got everything else but i'm not that screwed up on spirits you know i only had a i had all of my experience was the other side of the bar to so the one that you'd hope. But uh, yeah, I really went and tried to um, tried to take some of his story and put it into the rum, which is I guess how we got to seaweed because obviously as a naval hero and you have this abundance of seaweed growing I was washing up on the shores in Scotland, it seemed silly not to use what Mother Nature was providing for free. And there was this perfect accompaniment for rum in terms of flavour profile because sweet and salty obviously go so well together if you think of salted caramel and stuff like that. Everything just seemed to align that seaweed had to be be in there somewhere.
0: Wait, we have to go back to the seaweed for a sec. (laughs) Is it that Ollie was walking on the beach and he saw some seaweed and say, hey, let's throw this into rum? I mean, were you thinking about flavors and what could be different and that you looked across and saw it?
1: How we got there, so to be honest, um, because we were born out of lockdown, a lot of our flavor experimenting went on in my kitchen counter. We got a lot of things wrong and I was trying to do something really (laughs) conventional and do a sort of conventional spice drums. So I was playing with sort of nutmegs, cinnamons, all those sort of those sort of Christmas cake conventional spices. But then one day, well, that went wrong hundreds of times, and sort of tried some disgusting rums and said, you know, I'm going to stop trying to to replicate what other people do and do something different. And we always wanted to use some ingredient that came from from Scotland or some ingredient that came from from the farm or from the estate that now is around where John Paul Jones was born. So honestly, I just sat down with Ollie and said, look, can you describe me what is what is around? because obviously we couldn't go it was over lockdown so you know i'd be probably sat on a zoom like this i said look can you just um i've been up there before but you know we ran through him and said look what's around you know what what woods there what um what grows on the shore what do you have growing on the estate etc 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 and then when he said seaweed it sort of all clicked together that you know that's an ingredient from the sea it provides that salinity and that flavor profile that matches and also i'd always a sort of thing running alongside that that works brilliantly is because we add peppercorns as well you end up that we basically season our spirit. We add salt, we add seaweed that adds saltiness, and we add peppercorns, obviously add the pepper, which if you, you know, in terms of anything with food, you'll always season it. So um, so that's worked really well, uh, being a big foodie as well. We could season, we could basically, you know, grind, grind salt and pepper into our into our drink without, without exactly doing that.
0: Without telling trade secrets, how did you get the seaweed into the rum? Did you put it in casks and add the seaweed into it, or I mean if you're allowed to tell me, I don't know. Again, I don't know if that's a big secret. I, I, I
1: can no no, it's not, no I can tell you that. So after the aging process, we withdraw the, the spirit from the wood and then we put it into a large a large container and then at that point we do a steep. So a lot of the way that we designed the recipe I did as well was based on the gin revolution and what they did well. So what we do is then when we have this aged and already delicious rum, we then just get a mechanical tea bag almost and dip it into the spirit. And in that, there is fresh ginger at food grade. So, you know, no powdered ginger, no essences, just straight fresh ginger. Black peppercorns, again, non-crushed, again, how you get them in a the grinder. And the Scottish seaweed that we've dried. And we literally just dip that in there for 24 hours and then withdraw it. And then that has infused it with all these lovely finishing flavors, which don't dominate the palate, I don't think. But because of that light touch they give, just really add an extra an extra dimension and layer.
0: And how many times did you have to, or, or should I say, how long did it take you to find that exact 24 hours did you try seven days first and then tried it and it was horrible or was this like a one-shot lucky oh my god 24 hours that's it no we
1: we tried everything a lot of times (laughs) so i know lockdown came lockdown came a difficult time for us because it was just at the start of our process so obviously delayed so many things but the one benefit it gave us is time and over that time you know i spent hundreds and hundreds of evenings sat at the kitchen counter with about 10 different rums that i'd spent the previous week brewing and you know just infusing and as you say doing a seven day steep doing twice as much seaweed for half as long um you know different amounts of ginger and pepper and all those different ways that you can do it and uh, it was honestly just a refining process and and a lot of drinking Which just never actually that bad a thing especially when you've got not you've not got much to be out for the next day anyway
0: <laughs> i guess not I would love to have been there to try like the seven day one where you're like, oh my God, this is so salty. You could use this, you know, in cooking or. Yeah, it became
1: really viscous and sort of the the seaweed dissolved itself and you ended up with a sort of like half seaweedy soup. that while being really rich and sort of quite, quite nice to have one sip of. You had about three and suddenly you're like, right, okay. I need to go lie down. (laughs) It's quite (laughs) (laughs) intense.
0: Or maybe the seven day one, you can turn into a mask. Right. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah really, <laughs> or try it, to use it as a seaweed bath or something.
0: <laughs> exactly. Not a bad bath. No, seaweed and it. rum. <laughs> um, so once you had your 24 hours, you think you know, this is this is going to be it. You know, this is going to be your rum. Uh, what was your next step?
1: Yeah. So when we found that recipe, we all sat down. And sort of, I'd, I'd done, I'd done it myself, and I sort of sent it over or brought it to to Ollie and said, look, try it. Ollie and Jack, and said, look, try this. I think we're there, and they sort of tried it, and They're like, "Yes, that's that's absolutely delicious, perfect." And we said, "I thought right, okay, now we're gonna have to do sort of the hard work." So from there, we sat down and we had to do the do the boring, you businessy things that you have to do, and you know, apply for licenses, apply for your wholesale license, apply for your ability to sell, and sort of do all the sort of behind the scenes things that, um, that, honestly, when we thought we were gonna sell run we never have to do. We had to sort of produce like direct routes to market business plans and. And all those sort of slightly more seriously businessy things and while we we're doing that um we we're waiting for for that recipe to be to be implemented in our first batch to be put together so we had a nice i think it was a couple of months waiting for the rum to be because the white rum that we use is is shipped over from jamaica so we had to wait for that to be shipped over um and then yeah and then we sort of mm-hmm. it, it was this very strange day when so sort of there's a knock on knock on the door of all these flat and um someone had dropped off a pallet of rum just on on the side of the road <laughs> they said look this is yours now so I was, oh my word <laughs> this is very very real <laughs> but it was amazing
0: and then it went into the barrels how exciting it must have been super exciting
1: yeah it was the whole well the whole process I mean for for us to don't work in the industry the whole process is so exciting because you know it's so out it's something that I always felt so out of reach and, you know I personally applied for just about every entry level job at Diageo for a couple of years and I always got told I had no relevant experience so just to be able to sort of live in the industry and and to sort to of do the day-to-day I do is rarely lost on me. So, yeah, no, it's been it's been a roller coaster. We've got a lot of things wrong, but it's a lot of fun.
0: Well, I'm looking at a bottle here behind me, by the way, right here. Let me bring it uh, over. Yeah. There it is. So you had, okay, you had John Paul Jones, you had your seaweed, you had your liquid. Okay, you're applying for the licenses. Did you have an idea of how you wanted the bottle to look?
1: So it's a really nice story, actually, the way the design Because I think, I think it, it's turned out really well. But it was done by a school friend of Ollie's. Uh, his name's Bobby, and it was his first ever proper freelance graphic design job. So we very much, we very much sat down with him. We had a really, really good, good process. And he's obviously an incredibly talented designer. We had a really good process of just coming up with ideas and throwing, um, throwing themes at him rather than designs, because we always wanted it to be regal and to have that goldness and that formality, because we're trying to create a serious spirit. Uh, we wanted to obviously incorporate the American naval coat, because that's what John Paul Jones went to create. And what he really cleverly did is sort of create this riff on the frills that come on the coat, which also are supposed to look like the seaweed in the sea. So he did a really, really good job of putting together all of all of the different parts of John Paul Jones, the seaweed, the America, obviously the link to the Americans and just the formality of, of the spirit itself. And he managed to link them all together into into this, which I think I think it's pretty special. So, yeah, yeah. Um, the guy's going to do great things. We're very lucky to get him first.
0: <laughs> yes, it, it's, it's a really, really nice looking label. Now, with John Paul Jones, did you have to get approval from his estate, if that even exists? Or is it in the, can you use his name in the public domain?
1: So he, he had no direct um, descendants. So his his estate in the uk and his sort of legal binding isn't isn't the same as what it would be elsewhere so there's no direct person that you'd go to and say can we use the name all you had to do is fill out a legal application to make sure that as with everything else if you wanted to start a company of any any description you just had to make sure that no one objected to you using it so we filled that out um, as that was one of the first things we did actually when we first had the idea, it was like right, before we get too excited. here, let's let's, let's make sure that we're not going to get sued, or or there's not someone out there who who'd have a problem with this, because that's obviously the last thing we want to do. And we are actually quite excitingly as well currently an application for our American trademark, because then we're going to look to look to expand over over the pond and go to the sort of John Paul Jones's spiritual home and and where everyone loves him so much.
0: For people who aren't Americans or didn't study this in um their American history class, can you give just a teeny bit of history about john paul jones
1: yeah 100 so john paul jones was born in the 1700s in as i said the arbigland estate up in scotland in dumfries he learns to sail and he goes off sale for the merchant navy i think at the age of 13 and the first part of his his career for the british merchant navy was transporting goods and goods back to and from the caribbean one of those goods obviously being rum and the other ones could well have been black pepper and fresh ginger as well, because they were grown nearby in Jamaica. So he started his career doing that. And then after a couple of years, the British Navy at that point started moving towards the slave trade, which is obviously barbaric and awful. John Paul Jones said, you know, this is disgusting. I, I think he famously described it as an abominable trade and said, look, I'm going to go and find a new world. And the new world at the time was was America. So he went there when it was a band of small, isolated militia rather than had the central Navy, had central anything is very much at the start of of the fledgling of the americans of of your life and then so he then is credited with founding the american navy bringing a lot of order to it and then goes and fights the british very famously is that moment where he said that quote i've not yet begun to fight and then after that he has his time in america and then moves he actually goes to russia where he fights for Catherine the great against the ottoman empire and then when he dies he dies at the age of 46 in paris and when he dies as i said his uh, body was perfectly preserved in white spirit rum and then actually, he was buried in an unmarked grave. So I think it's in 1905, the Americans said, look, we can't let, we can't allow this naval hero and this little legend of our of our past to be sitting, God knows where, in, in a hole in Paris. So they actually dug up about half of Paris to go and find him. And they found him, obviously drained him. And now he's currently in one of the memorial buildings in Washington in a, I think it's like a, a completely marble and bronze sarcophagus, very much presented and displayed how he deserves to be. So that's an A to Z of john paul jones's life
0: are you sure he was preserved in rum or are you just making that up
1: no 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 it's white spirit it was a white spirit rum are you scared me then i was scared kidding, me that it makes a great story bring, i thought you about to bring out sort of john paul jones's diary <laughs> no 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 i mean it was preserved, <laughs> no, no. yeah white white, white spirit <laughs> rum it might not have been drinking rum but it technically was it was a distilled sugar cane so we're, cli- oh. we're clinging on to that I, uh, I think
0: hamilton was also preserved in rum as well yeah, well, Nelson,
1: Nelson was brandy, wasn't he? Nelson, I'm uh, sorry.
0: Oh, totally. Nelson, Nelson. <laughs> it was Nelson.
1: Yes, sorry. I'm not so up go. on my,
0: um, my British naval history. Yeah.
1: <laughs> right. No, it's a good way to go.
0: It's new to market, okay? Yeah. Relatively. Lockdown, it's pretty new. You are not only the founder, but the brand ambassador for it. Um, when you're introducing the liquid to someone who doesn't know anything about it, how do you describe it? What would, you know, be the first thing they would want to take away? The the taste, the aroma, the the finish, you know? How would you describe it to someone who's never had it before?
1: What I find that in, entices people the most is to say, look, the, and, it, and it is completely true, it's compared, prepare to try rum how rum has never been before. Because to the most of my knowledge, you know, no one has no one has aged rum in child American oak as we do, which obviously takes it in a completely different direction. Most rum producers add buckets of sugar post-production to give it that artificial sugary taste which we don't do any of all spiced and flavored rums generally don't add the botanicals that we do and not not many people even age and flavor rum at the same time um and you know there's very very little of our feedback hasn't included the fact that it is different and it is unique and that would always be my my way of doing it is um I would I'd echo the quote that John Paul, the second quote that John Paul Jones said, which is those who will not risk cannot win and put that forward and say, prepare to try something completely different. But if you don't try something different, you won't know if you like it.
0: And do you think of it as a sipping rum or a rum to be used in cocktails or both?
1: The way that so working backwards sort of the way that we plan to make it, I think shows how we want people to drink it, which is that it's delicious neat and it's nice neat, but we're not precious about it. We're not a sixty-year-old whiskey who says you know if you drink this with anything other than a drop of water then you're going straight to hell you know it's it's a lovely spirit and it deserves to be drunk however you want to drink it but we do think that if you enjoy it neat then you'll it will improve every other rum mix or rum cocktail that you make with it it's a good start liking it neat if you don't like it neat then you're only hiding those flavors with whatever you're putting it with
0: well i have a neat in front of me and um so i'm not the best to be honest the best taster and you know or, or or very good at describing what i taste usually i'm like oh it's rum it's great <laughs> usually i say that about it, oh it's great or whatever it is <laughs> you know and it's it does have you know the caramelly smell what would you want me to to try and get out of it
1: to look out of it so i try and the first thing i try and do is try and see if you can notice the the saltiness that doesn't come through all the seaweed's influence which doesn't come through a saltiness per se but adds adds stickiness around the tongue and sort of makes it a bit viscous and a bit sort of I wouldn't even say syrupy because it's not syrupy but a bit thicker and a bit more luxurious mm-hmm. in the mouth. On top of that, you'll obviously get all this classic sweetness. And I'd probably say the lightness and the way that, you know, for a dark rum that has been has been aged for in the way that it has with sort of the aggressiveness of wood that's used, it's really light and it's quite delicate. And that allows us because we, we use it in tonics, we use it in um we use it in mojitos and places where white rums normally are used. The other thing I'd say is that to notice the fact it's quite dry again for a rum is that even though it has that sort of scotchy mm-hmm. feeling, it's not overly sugary. And again, that's a because of the wood and b also because of um, the lack of sugar that we add. And those are probably be the bits that I would I'd say the most characterising. And maybe actually a lot of people can either pick up one of the ginger or the pepper on the on the finish so after sort of after you've had a sip, your your throat will remain warm, and that sort of I like thinking sort of that warming gingeriness, which always reminds me of those. Um, those teas your mum would make you if you're ever ill, sort of ginger and honey and stuff like that. You get that sort of nice warming, warming effect down the throat.
0: I definitely have that. I definitely <laughs> I feel that. Now, so the home bartender or someone who's just trying to start making cocktails at home, they get a bottle. What would you think would be the first cocktail that they should try it with after they've had it neat?
1: I think the best place to go with it. There's two ways you could go with it. And I think um, I think both are brilliant and both improve, obviously depending on what spirit you're replacing, those cocktails. The first idea is an old fashioned because it's sort of, you're still, you're moving that next step away from neat. The, you're then saying, okay, we're gonna add a little bit to it. Um, and all I would do is I just add half as much sugar as you normally would, because obviously rum is sweeter than, than than bourbon. And yeah, just really enjoy that and run with it because the seaweed and those savory elements to the rum make it really interesting and really, really different to a normal old fashioned, while still sort of hitting those, hitting those notes you'd expect. And the other one I would do is I would, um, it's slightly controversial one. I was making espresso martini apart from replacing your vodka with this rum because again the ginger and the saltiness work with the coffee so well if you think about salt and coffee have always worked um and yeah it's absolutely delicious and I promise you won't go back also rum should be using espresso martini anyway it makes far more sense
0: (laughs) I love that it sounds great it sounds fantastic now are there any other fun facts you found along the way uh, while making this? Anything surprise you about making a rum that you didn't think, or getting into the business this way that you thought would never happen?
1: Oh, I mean, probably so many things. But now you ask, they all sort of disappear. Um, the whole thing has been has been a surprise, and it's sort of, there has been hundreds of blind signings and hundreds of things that I never thought, never thought that you would end up doing. But it's nice to do it with friends and to look around sometimes. And, you know, when we were packing up after we did Taste of London's massive food event in, in Regent's Park. Um, and afterwards, uh, and we had to fulfill all the orders because we could only take direct orders. And we sat there and just packaged boxes of rum for, I think, like four or five hours straight. I remember just looking around to two of my friends, just, just laughing like, what are we doing? <laughs> how have we ended up, sort of you know, six months down the line? I mean, it's a great place to be because obviously it's great to sell bottles and stuff. It's just sort of that look of sort of, how on earth did we end up here? <laughs> Brilliant, though.
0: Well, that's fantastic. At least someone ordered, right? People no, liked no. it. we,
1: we sold oh. We sold out in two days at Taste of London. It was our first consumer event, the first time anyone other than friends and family had ever tried it. And we sort of, we'd assume that we'd sell, you know, five, 10 bottles a session or a day. Um, and within two days, we'd sold nearly 80 bottles. Um, we sold out of, we do some custom glasses as well, and we sold out of them. We had to do pre-orders for, you know, for the last nine, nine or eight, eight days. Um, just because everyone liked it so much, which was absolutely amazing. As I said, something that was born on my kitchen counter in lockdown it was a real pinch me moment, and yeah, it was really special.
0: Well, it's so nice to hear a happy lockdown story, let me tell you, and especially one involving a spirit, and especially one involving Rome.
1: <laughs> Completely, no, without a shadow of a doubt.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, I-, I can't wait to get starting to make that espresso martini. It sounds amazing.
1: It's actually, we have it on our Instagram at the moment, which is rum is the handle.
0: I always end with asking two questions because it seems you're a drinker. Um, do you have any top tips for the home bartender? It doesn't have to be specifically about rum or it can be about rum.
1: I'd say, you know, I'm not sure if it's if it's an obvious tip or not, but I'd always say be comfortable with drink, drinking every spirit neat because that is where you'll understand it and that's where you'll know. And, you know, it, it seems simple, but it's something I never did until I got into whiskey and that's where my my interest and my love for spirits came from is the fact that you know i'd I'd only ever drink it with a mixer and that meant i didn't understand it you know captain morgan's tasted like rum and coke rather than i didn't know what it actually tasted like alone so i just i'd always say just never be scared to try something neat and know that you know if you take a small sip of something it's not going to burn your throat out and it's not scary just um just yeah try it neat and then you'll learn a lot more about what you're drinking
0: i totally agree especially yeah because rum is so specific when you hide it in a Coke or something, you just don't really, you can't really taste the taste of it. It just becomes the sugary drink.
1: No, it's so easy to lose the flavor.
0: Absolutely. And they're also specific to where they're from. Um And also, last but not least, if you could have a drink anywhere right now, what would it be and where would it be?
1: Oh, well, I'm, I'd am i very much like to follow our run back home and go to, go to Jamaica and sit there with a pina colada on the beach on the sun lounge, yeah. I'd be very, very happy there, rather than rainy and dreary London.
0: Oh, please. Me too. I totally agree. All right. Well, I will see you there. (laughs) And thank you so much for joining me on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thanks so much to Finn for being on the program. I have a whole new respect for John Paul Jones and seaweed. So, on to our cocktail of the week. Yes, the cocktail of the week had to be the espresso martini made the John Paul Jones way. We start with 50 mils or two ounces of John Paul Jones rum, 40 mils or one and three quarter ounces coffee liqueur, one shot of premium espresso, plus a pinch of sea salt. Add all the ingredients to a shaker, add ice, and then shake, shake, shake. Then strain it into a goop glass. You'll find this recipe, more espresso martini recipes, and all the cocktails of the week at alushlifemanual.com, where you'll find all the ingredients in our shop. So, coughing for three weeks and losing your voice for two is pretty exhausting. So now it's time for some R&R. Can't wait to get on that plane. So if you live for Lush Life, make sure you head out to the bars and restaurants you love and tell them how much you love them. Theme music for Lush Life is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. And Lush Life is always and will be forever produced by Evo Terra and Simpler Media Productions. Which leaves me to say the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Next time, we're heading to Yorkshire to discover what Catherine and Heathcliff might have served on those long, hot summer nights. Until that time, bottoms up.